dumb fun. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Musical the movie, the podcast. Musical the movie, the podcast. Musical the movie, the podcast. With Andy and Steph. Attend the tale of musical, the movie, the podcast. Welcome <laughs> in to episode five. It's episode five, and we're That's talking right. about Mr. Sweeney Todd himself. The full title, please. Uh, Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. That's something right. you will not hear said in this movie. That's right. The, the, this, there was no titular line in this movie, Steph. <laughs> you hate to see it. You hate to see it. Uh, Steph, I guess let's just jump right into it on this one. I think that sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Uh, so this week, yeah, we're talking about Sweeney Todd. Let's start with you, Steph. What is your relationship to Stephen Sondheim's Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street? So I think the first important thing to say about my relationship to Stephen Sondheim is that he is the one musical composer who consistently gives me ASMR when I listen to him. I like get physical chills because just the way that he builds those chords and swells everything, it just... It very much speaks to my weird little neurodivergent brain. And I, so the first Sondheim play that I loved was Sunday in the Park with George, which I loved because I saw it. I saw a Kenosha Bradford High School production of it that like made me cry. They were so good. Wow. Shout out Um, to KBHS. (laughs) They were, I was like a junior and we had driven, we drove like an hour and a half to see it. And then it was so magical. And then I think there was like a snowstorm or something. It was very much a, a, like, it'd be a chapter of the the YA book about my childhood. (laughs) So did they have to like do the play again? Cause you guys were all snowed (laughs) up. Cause they were, we were stuck there and they had to entertain us. They're like, all right, from act one. Yeah. So that was my friend. Like, and then I was hooked and that was like, that would have been like 2003 or 2004. And then in like just a couple years later comes this movie and so I for that reason get into Sweeney Todd and like around the same time see a really a brilliant uh, stage adaptation of it which I think is one of the new standards where they all of the characters play instruments and the the pit orchestra is just like in the middle of the stage and like most distinctively Joanna plays the cello I think it's just it's distinctive I think that's wild to me and it's beautiful beautiful um and I saw that like right around the same time as the movie and I remember thinking oh wow it was one of the first things where I was like I don't know which one I liked better yeah because this movie nailed it but like also that show was really good and now and now we're here okay that's my whole relationship what about you that this is actually one that goes back for me this is one that I knew before I saw the movie which is not common on this podcast uh (laughs) But I got to give it up to my uh, the theater uh, director at Christian Brothers High School in Memphis, Tennessee, Brother Michael Lividay. Uh, eagle-eared listeners will remember him as the person who cast me as one of the five senses in every man. <laughs> but he, he taught a theater appreciation class, which I took as an elective my junior or senior year. And he showed us a number of things. And one of the things, I mean, if you're trying to get an all-male high school theater appreciation class interested <laughs> in theater, what do you show them? The play where people are killed and put into pies, right? <laughs> and so uh, he showed us the what I now know is the original Broadway production uh, with Lynn Carew and Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury just kills it as Mrs. Lovett. I mean, she's incredible. She's she, You've never seen Angela Lansbury so insane as she is. <laughs> 
as Mrs. Lovett. It's it's great. So from that, from high school, I was way into this play. I've never seen it live to this day, but it is also a plot point in, a, in another movie I saw in theaters called Jersey Girl, starring Ben Affleck and, <laughs> and J-Lo and some other people where- uh, How dare you? His, yeah, it's, it's like an emotional climax of, of Jersey Girl and Bob's his daughter performing- uh, Sweeney Todd at her school talent show. It's very, it's, it's whatever. But suffice <laughs> to say, I'm, I'm, I see this movie in theaters when it comes out because I'm so excited because I've, I've loved this play for so long. And at the time, I really was, I thought, I, I felt bored by some of it and specifically the Anthony and Joanna parts. <laughs> like, we're not That's really speaking. Fair. <laughs> but we're like rewatching it for this like in my mind that was like 40% of the movie but <laughs> rewatching it for this it's like really only like two scenes maybe that it goes on a little too long so yeah I, I mean I was a big fan of this when when we watched it I hadn't watched it in a while and when we watched it for this podcast I, I really thought it was tight like it, it it takes everything from the musical and chops it where it needs to be chopped it it it, and it makes things shorter where they need to be shorter and yeah I loved it I love it should well, we get into it? Yeah, let's let's bring in our guest then. Um, well, I want to introduce a guest first. Yeah, uh, now, she... now Steph, we, we always have a, a theater guest and a comedy guest, but we're double dipping this week. Yeah, like both of these folks are really both of these things. And <laughs> um, frankly, I'm just so excited to talk about this movie. I think it's the perfect movie for this combo. So our first guest is Chicago-based comedian Jamie Schreiner. She's our first uh, guest who has written a musical, which I am very impressed by. And also Andy took me to see on like our third date. And it was very, it was a very good third date. Oh, that's not even the musical I was thinking of. That's that was a one woman show, which I guess is is technically a musical. Do you consider that a musical, Jamie? Um, like I consider it more like a. It's the book. It's not the score because I didn't write those songs. Like I changed the lyrics. <laughs> but yeah, you, I, was... you have also written a musical where you, where you wrote the songs. You are a songwriter too. Yes. And what's that I, called? I, uh, it's called Wife Material. The full cast recording is available on Spotify. But yeah, no, I I wrote Wife Material, and that's kind of why I ended up starting to do musical comedy because I wrote the songs for that and I was like oh I guess this is something I can do I'm gonna introduce our other guest real quick uh he is uh one of the one of the great comedians of this country he when I moved to Chicago he had an open mic that was like one of the places to be like if you can imagine an open mic being a hot spot this dude did it. Uh, it was called Two Black Dudes and an Open Mic. He went on to New York where he inherited the Knitting Factory show from Hannibal Burris. He's back here in Chicago and, and it's such a joy for us because we get to see him all the time. He's, it's Clark Jones, everybody. Clark. Hello. 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 Hello, Ooh. everyone. And I guess I'll go ahead and mention off the top, too, that you have a chunk of your stand-up that is about Sweeney Todd. It is. Yeah. And uh, Stephanie, like, I have this weird thing with, it's almost a uh, affliction. If you mention somebody, I have to talk like them to a certain degree. <laughs> okay. So you said ASMR with Stephen Sondheim, so I may slip into an impression in <laughs> there. And I just want to go in I don't hate it. directly to it <laughs> and make, sh- make it succinct and sing to them. <laughs> sing to them. It's, it's, it's her. Amy's your bride. <laughs> I wish, I wish that people Amy. could see that like Clark's face is like has the perfect angle to it, and his eyes are close. It's just and, cool. and the, the, 
the half smile. It's it's a it's a strong smile, but it's only half of his face that he smiles yeah. with, and it's so warm to get direction. I wish I could get any type of direction from the late great Stephen Sondheim. I've never, I don't know that I've ever heard Sondheim speak. And so the only voice of his that I know is Bradley Whitford and Tick, Tick, Boom. <laughs> That's hilarious. You, <laughs> did they mention him by name in the uh, the mockumentary, the Broadway now? Oh, uh, John Mulaney? I, don't, I don't know. I don't think they if, mentioned him by name, but they were doing they do. John but, was yeah. doing an impression. The word okay, is yeah. rune. It's not rune. <laughs> it's rune. <laughs> I guess let's start with uh, Jamie. Do you want to tell us about what your relationship is to to Sweeney Todd? So I would say it starts with a sigh. Like as a theater artist, the first time I I saw it live and like listened to the soundtrack, I was like, oh, crap. Like I want to do what she's doing. I want to do that part. Like I think Mrs. Lovett is such an interesting role. And then in college, I got to be Mrs. Lovett in a scene study class. I had to do like a little priest and like whichever one, like the two duets that are well, there's more than two, but like two of the major ones between Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd. And that kind of like, I still love Sweeney Todd, but it negatively affected my relationship with it a little bit because my scene <laughs> partner was a real asshole and I'm hard of hearing, but I didn't know it at the time. So I remember being in the practice room and having him like, I kept getting it like a half step flat and I couldn't hear that I was doing it wrong. And he's like, it's, eh, eh, why can't you fucking get it? It's, eh. and like, he wasn't warm and nice like Sondheim. but i love it it's a great show did you see this movie in theaters you know yes i did and i i don't want to give away too much my opinion of it i loved it it's just like it's she's not gonna be angela lansbury you know what i mean you can't do what angela did i get that when you're home and harder it's like they they served up oranges on a roll that i think should be apples that's the best way to put it it's hard to even be upset because it's like she was never gonna bring to that role what angela did but like would you have rather had post murder she wrote angela lansbury in that role no like emma thompson even like just a different actress entirely somebody who was a little more camp all right we'll talk about recasting it a little later in the show uh clark what about you when did you first come into contact with sweeney todd first of all i know jamie was such a brilliant theater critic as well she served apples when we wanted oranges. I've never heard such phraseology. Um, my, I was first introduced to the um, production. My college girlfriend went to see it by herself, which was normal for us. We just, you know, sometimes we would just do things without each other so we could uh, get some space. And uh, so that was my introduction to it. Then I that's dated like, a woman. That's that, so much more right? mature of a relationship thing to do than most people in college do. Yeah, like yeah, 19, no kidding. we were just going to movies by ourselves and just you know living a life outside of our apartment. So she saw it, she enjoyed it. I and I was like, oh, I should go see that one day. Never did. I started dating another woman years later, and she said she, she wanted to show me two movies. One of them was Sweeney Todd. The other was um, Eternal Sunshine. And wow. The year right. was 2007. <laughs> it, it, I think so. I think they might have nailed it. It was, it was streaming or it was on video or DVD, so it might have been the year right after that. It might have been 08. And she just was intent on us watching it and her like kind of coaching me to through it to explain what was going on because I didn't get anything at all. And so her explaining it just, I mean, I owe that joke really to her 
that I do in my act because she's the one who kind of turned the light on, turned the light switch on to the musical. Do you feel like you were really sticking it to your other acts by watching it with your new girlfriend? You know, if she still talked to me at the time, I think <laughs> I may have brought it up. But, you know, she wasn't hit as hard by it, but she enjoyed it. That, But this this other woman was really, really into it. Both Geminis. Very, very. <laughs> I don't know why they love Sweeney Todd, but they get it. And um, yeah, no, I never, I, I only mentioned that. I I'm immediately texting every Gemini I know. Every Gemini is logging in now when they, when they hear this, they, six cents. Um, I mean, this play is about the duality, yeah. isn't it? It's about how it's it two is, to tango. It is. The dark the and the light. At the same time, yeah, it's a twinning. <laughs> well, before we jump into the plot, let me give a little history here. Uh, so the character of Sweeney Todd as a murderous barber originates in like 1846 in Penny Dreadfuls that go around Victoria, England in these little like paperback horror stories. Uh, and then in 1973, this guy who's basically an actor writes it as a play and Stephen Sondheim sees it and makes it into a musical that opens on Broadway in 1979 starring Lynn Carriou and Angela Lansbury. On opening night, this guy, Harold Clerman, who was a, a big theater critic at the time, goes to the manager of the, the Metropolitan Opera and he demands to know why it was not on at the Met. And the guy who runs the Met says, I would have put it on if they had brought it to me because this is a modern opera and like everyone would have been pissed about it. I don't care. This is an opera. So then it's the early 2000s and Sam Mendes, the director of American Beauty, is, is developing a movie of it. I love to see him in this, but he leaves it in 2005 to direct Jarhead and Tim Burton, who at the time was developing a project that just sounds terrible based on Ripley's Believe It or Not, <laughs> with starring Jim Carrey <laughs> as Robert Ripley. That falls apart because it goes over budget. How? But <laughs> thank God it does. And, uh, and that leads him somehow to Sweeney Todd, which is a play he had seen on Broadway and loved and talked to Sondheim about adapting in the 80s when he got big after Batman and stuff. And so, and finally he comes back to it in like 2005 and, and starts adapting it. Johnny Depp had to do a vocal audition for Stephen Sondheim because Stephen Sondheim thought he would be too rock and roll. Helena Bottom Carter sent 12 audition tapes to Sondheim to seek his approval and to combat any rumor of nepotism. And, so, and then the only other audition note I have is that Sasha Baron Cohen sings the entire score of Fiddler in the Roof for Tim Burton. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. I love that. I love that fact. I love making the director's wife audition 12 times. That, <laughs> yeah. It just makes it. Yeah, it perfect. seems like it's something that she did because she she want she didn't want to be the director's wife, despite the fact that this is like her seventh Tim Burton movie that she's in. It's like God, Hillary Clinton. I don't want to do this. Yeah. Being Where a senator. <laughs> yeah, she's going to be the Red Queen in Alice in Wonderland right after this. So. <laughs> I don't know how many tapes she sent to Lewis Carroll for that. <laughs> I will. I will give her credit, though. I mean. She is the one after, to me, it's, of the big three, it's Angela Lansbury, Helena Bonham Carter, then uh, Patti LuPone, Ooh. as far as portrayals. See, I've never opinion. seen Patti LuPone do it. Yeah, man. The old <laughs> musical theater Twitter got on my ass, because I, uh, apparently this woman, Patti LuPone, is untouchable, but she <laughs> is. I wish she didn't touch the role of <laughs> second lead in Twitter Todd. <laughs> I uh, I wonder that that's maybe the first time that we're we've said Patty Lapone's name on our musical podcast, which is wild. I'm sure it'll come up. We'll do a veto one day and talk about how <sighs> she's not in it. <laughs> so it is 1846. Mr. Sweeney Todd, played by Johnny Depp, arrives in London on a tall ship, accompanied by the wafy sailor Anthony Hope, 
played by Jamie Campbell Bauer. And we learn that 15 years earlier, Todd was Benjamin Barker, falsely convicted and exiled to Australia by the cruel and corrupt Judge Turpin, Alan Rickman, in just... I mean, we're, we're going to talk about Alan Rickman. Can I jump yeah. in real quick? Yeah, so you want to talk about Alan Rickman? <laughs> no, I actually want to talk about how the first shot of this movie is Jamie Campbell Bauer, and he's a sailor on a boat, and he steps up and he's singing about London. It's almost as if, like, it's almost like an ode to, like, musicals like New York, New York, or something like that, where it seems like there's going to be a sailor singing about how beautiful London is. And then Sweeney Todd steps into the frame, and the music goes dark. And Sweeney Todd starts <laughs> singing about what a pit of shit London is. And it's it's just this great fake out moment at the very beginning. I did appreciate that as well. Yeah. I think the word wafy in the plot description, I've not, <laughs> I've not heard that used in a while, so that was fun. No, I just, I, I missed the opening number. I understand why it didn't work for film. I understand. I understand. I think <laughs> everything that I have a critique about is going to come back to like, I'm the same as those obnoxious people who are like, the book is just better than the movie. Like, hey, it's, just, it's just better than the, yeah. Well, okay. So I was thinking about the same thing, Jamie, and how, like, I didn't mention it here, but we do get an opening credits with the overture that's like sort of the opening stage number, like translated to orchestra. And it's illustrated with like the bloodiest CGI. It's so yeah. CGI though. It's yeah. heavy. So CGI. It's, yeah. Yeah. Again, the year is it's 2007. Not the same. It's not the same as live when I was talking to Jamie last night, having the chorus behind you in the audience. Oh yeah. Surprisingly, like they come in after everything has started and all of a sudden you're you're in the world because they're they're placed not on stage but behind you. I also want to say like in this this intro, forgive my ignorance on this, but you get to see how great Sondheim is and in, in interweaving two different mm-hmm. songs within the same piece. So you have Sweeney coming in holding the wall with the great black pit, but then he's I too have sailed like the the musical changes are just like seamless in in a lot of his songs. My friends too, how he goes back between that and pretty I mean uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like just all those changes are just they just flow perfectly. I, and then I should mention, we haven't said it outright. There is, yeah, an opening number in the, in the play that is attend the tale of Sweeney Todd, the chorus basically yeah. singing and what's going to happen. There is a direct quote from Tim Burton where he specifically says about cutting that. He's like, yeah, I hate in musicals when people are like, attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. He's like, you can just attend it. You're there. Just attend it. That is true. <laughs> that is fair. We are, we did download it off Netflix when they still <laughs> sold DVDs. <laughs> We're there. We paid the ticket. Yeah. We, we are attending the tale. That's very funny. <laughs> I think the thing is also like, when I say like, oh, books are like the stage shows better than the film version. I think I also just have to like accept and embrace the fact that like, it is a Tim Burton movie. Like a lot of the choices <laughs> that, I, that I'm like, oh, it's taking from what Sweeney Todd was. It's because it's a Tim Burton movie. Because I feel like Tim Burton, all of his movies in the fact that they're dark and sinister, they kind of take themselves a bit seriously. This is a fucking musical. Like, even if it's a dramatic musical, I don't think any musical can take itself too seriously. And yeah. that's part of where part of my brain is like, well, yeah, it is cringe and it is like dumb to go attend the Tales of Todd. But that's kind of why we're here. Like, that's what we signed up for when we came to see a musical. See, you for know? me, that's 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 what the adaptation is all about. Like, you're taking it to a movie so you can cut out that stuff. Something Steph and I fight about all the time 
is when they finally make a Hamilton movie, will they leave in the chorus going, New York City, 1776? And I'm like, no, you can just put that as a super at the bottom of the screen. No, and no, you don't you, need that. You absolutely that. cannot take out you the You can chorus just CGI a, a, a sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then the sign is going to sing in three-part harmony whispers. That's true. That's true. But then also, are they going to do, how does a bastard how is that going to translate to film? Is it just going to be him walking towards the camera, slow motion, like a music video? And then like the camera cuts to like, I died for him. I loved him. Like, (laughs) you know, I like, we haven't, we haven't talked about the movie rent yet. And I, this is like my number one complaint about the movie rent, but I actually do think like, apart from, I hate their total absence, but like apart from that, Part of the absence I do really like how this adaptation doesn't make everyone just like talk where they would be singing on the stage like it keeps it keeps the way that the music like goes in and out of the speech so it just all feels very organic and I think it does that really well so Judge Turpin was lusting after Barker's wife Lucy and that's why he's in Australia uh, now he has escaped from prison he's returned to London and adopted the alias Sweeney Todd he returns to his old Fleet Street shop, which lives above Mrs. Nellie Lovett's meat pie shop, where she sells, yeah. quote, the worst pies in London. I'm really enamored of, of Helena Bonham Carter here. I think she's she's so funny. And, you know, if you've never seen Angela Lansbury, if you're just going in to see a movie, like, I think she does the trick. I think that she's she's charming and she the way that she 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 has a, a a naturalisticness that's not a word at all but she has a naturalisticness about her that like is so hard to come by in acting and that she can like toss off these lines so funny to me i don't know to her credit like i think she really set the tone of mrs lovett as desperate yeah yeah and she performed it in a way that gave a lot of credence to angela lansbury's character where even in her solo it's about something else well, I was just going to quickly piggyback off of what he was saying. Like, when I said the apple orange thing, like, that is really how I feel. Like, it's just, like, be- having seen Angela Lambert's performance, I was used to, like, an apple performance of the role. And she did a really great orange. I think for me, it was just, like, I was like, oh, I didn't know I wanted an orange here. But it's a great orange. Like, I can't oh, just yeah. feel it. It's really good. It's just not, right. like, yeah. like best. It's not what I like the best. It's not that golden it's delicious. Choice, I would pick the apple. That's all. <laughs> If I had seen the live version first, I would be less impressed with the movie. Yeah. So I get it. And that's just from a enjoying the live thing. But um, I had seen the movie so many times. I'm like, oh, hey, this is the definitive thing. And then to see uh, a little priest in its entirety hmm. is a whole different thing. It's so many. Like, how did he come up with that many puns <laughs> um, for one subject? You got to at least YouTube the, the full song. Um, okay, so Mrs. Lovett is very in love with Sweeney Todd, and she gives him the gossip that when he was, uh, she figures out that it's him, and gives him the gossip that when he was exiled, Judge Turpin drugged and raped Lucy, who then poisoned herself with arsenic, and uh, Turpin kept their daughter, Joanna, as his ward. And so Todd vows revenge and reopens his barbershop. Meanwhile, Wafy Anthony, um, what I've written here is feels and then crossed it out and then says becomes enamored with Joanna. Uh, (laughs) And we get some exposition about her from a beggar woman. Um, And then Anthony is caught by Judge Turpin and driven away by his henchman, Beetle Bamford. I feel like this is like 
the act one and like we've met all of our people now act one of the movie of the movie in, yes. in movie acts not in play acts in, um, in five acts five acts structure. in five act structure so i love how in all these shots where he so sweeney gets his razors back and he's singing about his friends to them and and in all these shots Helena Bonham Carter is behind him out of focus just like clinging to him and longing for <laughs> him yes it's, it's so good and she's the desperation is so stinky <laughs> I love it yeah so then Anthony for some reason falls in love with Joanna from a window that's all it takes you know that blonde hair draping like Rapunzel like an end of the woods he says hair is yellow as cord and like this time he's like yellow is wheat I'm like Sondheim loves Is to it, talk about hair being yellow. When this guy's black. got a type. He loves he loves a blonde man. That's his <laughs> thing. Clearly, In- instantly smitten is this young man fresh off a boat. He I guess that her. makes sense. It's the first woman he's seen in two years, probably. Yeah, just around prisoners or escapees. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, has Greenfinch and Linnetbird happened yet? By this point. Yeah. This is this is where uh, we get it. What's your I, thoughts I, on Green Finch and Lindenberg? I really like that song. I think that, like, for me, I think the actress who played it brought, like, such a, a youthfulness to it. That's one of the things that I do appreciate about the film version versus, like, in stage shows, we always have people who are too old to play a teenager playing a teenager. <laughs> the way the girl did this, it read like an actual an actual teenager. Like, she didn't overdo it. Sometimes you see that song done, and they're like, if I cannot fly, let me sit. And that's one where I'm like, you're doing too much when they do all yeah. that and i feel like she did she did just enough i really love i feel like honestly probably the opposite to andy i love the anthony oh, and joanna movie I think yeah the same i'm like fast forward uh, I, <laughs> this girl who plays joanna and and the kid that plays toby this is pretty much like the last thing they do like the first and last thing that grand opening grand closing it's the last thing they do in their on their imdb pages oh yeah. wow really yeah and it's so weird i was telling Steph, it's so weird because tim burton's next movie is alice in wonderland <laughs> where he casts a woman who looks exactly like this girl to play alice and it's just like how much i mean how much do you have to hate that girl who played joanna to cast <laughs> what did who she do just like her? all right. you all you do is cast the same people over and over <laughs> yeah, again exactly she, she made one suggestion yeah. and he could not have it <laughs> How many times have you filmed Johnny Depp fucking your wife? Because a lot. <laughs> and yet you just cannot put this woman in another movie. All right. All right. Cool, Tim. Cool. Is it right away that uh, Judge Turpin invites Anthony into his house? Yeah. And he has just like, this is the first time that we see him not in someone else's memory. So like not like representing a story. And he just goes on this like creepy screed about like sex workers through history and then and that's it that's what I we could see show your books that have numerous positions you have never imagined <laughs> he wants <laughs> to show it. the Kama Sutra basically this is the first time we see Lucy too yes uh, as the beggar yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, spoiler alert if you spoiler. don't know <laughs> The, the back- for 30 minutes from now. Yeah. This whole episode is a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I know. That's yeah, but the, the if you're not we I, I do recommend you watch this movie at least, but if you're not and you're just listening to this, the beggar who came up to Anthony oh, yeah. will turn oh, out man. to be no, no, that we do we spoil the whole thing. The beggar will oh, yeah. turn out to be Lucy, who is Todd's uh estranged wife who he thinks is dead. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, I, I is it's hard to say. I mean, he's my least favorite. He's kind of a villain in a way for me. 
I think he's talented, but he's a, he's a he's he's the foil, obviously. Mm-hmm. Tell me about how he's kind of a villain. Well, he fumbled the first murder attempt. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> With his anxiousness, and he also is like, "Relax, man. Like, I'll steal you. What are you talking about? <laughs> what makes what makes what makes Anthony better than Judge Turpin? That's true. I mean, well, he has not raped anyone on camera. We don't know if he would. He's Judge Turpin without the power. Or the muscle. So That's he's true. a weak Judge Turpin. Judge Turpin was probably out crooning outside people's windows when he was a little boy. Yeah. And then he was like, I'll just become a judge. Yeah. Then I can then get I can rid of the guy. Especially yeah. now. I'm sure after all this, he's, he's going to write a book and everything. That's going to catapult him right to the political thing. races. It's a whole <laughs> thing. He never asked Joanna if she's singing about birds. Nothing about, oh, I need a man. It was <laughs> she did not ask for any of this. Now she does eventually toss a key out to him, which he somehow yeah. misses. He just somehow <laughs> does not catch it. Yeah. This, mer- this merchant of the sea. Yeah. Just can't catch a key. <laughs> yeah. Can't catch a key. Like, aren't can't y'all tossing fish and stuff to each other all the time on the fish, boat? Sea bass, whatever. Ropes. Yeah. Ropes. Just and he's, he's so yeah he's so wavy to be someone who works with his hands yeah <laughs> little sailor <laughs> boy away. right yeah okay, string him up there if they need a sail <laughs> yeah he's a flag he's a flag a red flag he's a red flag <laughs> <laughs> a flag I just feel conflicted about Alan Rickman in this movie because it's like Alan yeah. Rickman's daddy but he's like so bad in this he's like. He's bad and like not in a hot way. He's bad in just a bad way. Like he's yeah. just gross. I love him because it's Alan Rickman, but then the things that's coming out of his mouth, I'm like, oh no. It's like, and he's yeah. so because he's so talented, he really does make you feel so gross. And yeah, it, and yeah. right, and not not in like an an enjoyable way. Just there's like, a yeah. moment I really like my favorite Alan Rickman moment in this movie. I'm just gonna, it's later, but I'm gonna talk about it now. It's when he sends Joanna away. And Anthony runs up to him on his doorstep and he says, if you hurt her, I swear out. And Rickman goes, you'll what? Kill me? Here I stand. <laughs> Here I stand, boy. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, do something. I dare you. Fuck with me. Yeah. It's like that man has never had to atone or pay for any of his actions. At that moment, you're like, yeah, no, like he's not worried about it. Alan Ruckman taught me the word rue instead of regret. I have to use that instead of regret now because of uh, (laughs) how, you know, just impactful he was. It's also a credit to uh, the Beatle to outgross Alan Rickman. That's not that's not easy to outgross Mm -hmm. him. And uh, Peter Pettigrew. Yeah, that yeah, is Peter, Peter Pettigrew. Pettigrew. Yeah. Uh, what is his name? I'm like uh, Timothy Spall. That's his name. They, they were like a like a duo because they were together in. Yeah, um, this is this is Snape and Pettigrew together again. Yeah, they're <laughs> fucking. They're like a comedy team with drama. I feel bad for the Beatle guy. I'm sorry. They just keep making him be like even grosser. Like, <laughs> in Harry Potter, he literally is like a rat that comes to life, and he's like, <laughs> I'm like just can he be like the the handsome romantic no 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 that's where you lost me as soon as you can he be the handsome nope you are fired you'll never work in this town again you (laughs) joanna the little waif flag boy you're done now you should look up his son rafe spa is kind of a babe 
he is in Life of Pi and he's in uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and he is he's he's got daddy energy. As you said that, Jamie, then how disgusting he is. I had to look up something that I remembered from the end of the movie where uh, he Todd asks uh, the beetle what his scent is. And he says it's a bit of ambergris, ambergris, ambergris. Anyway, I looked it up what ambergris is, and it's a solid, waxy substance originating in the intestine of the sperm whale. Ew. But yes, his son is daddy. His son is definitely daddy. Yeah. I looked him up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. He must yeah, have married somebody. That's kind of cute. Ambergris. Ambergris. And that's uh, Johnny Depp's old uh, wife, Amber Grace. Amber Grace. Amber Grace. Oh, I don't, I don't endorse that joke. <laughs> we edited that. That's what, that's what Johnny Depp was wiping off his pillow—a little bit of Amber Grace. Oh my oh. god! <laughs> you shall rue the day you make. <laughs> yeah, I was trying tribute to tribute to Rickman. All right, Steph. I know we got Pirelli right around the corner. Oh yeah, he's here. Uh, so. Yes. We're Star at turn. some kind of market, um, and mar- you know how a market has barbers. And um, <laughs> Todd quaff fights with the foppish Adolfo Pirelli, played by Sasha Baron Cohen. In is this his first like yeah, musical much. casting? It's it's such it's such a great choice. Like I mean, it's like his first casting outside Borat, like pretty much at all. And it's also it like uh, he's hot off Borat. At the time. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. This was after Borat. Yeah. Okay. Borat has just taken the nation by storm. And this is like his first big thing after that. So he can uh, do an art project. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one for them, one for me. Yep, 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 yep. To that point, though, when I ran for student government in college, based off seeing just that scene, I did set up two barbers who <laughs> did like free haircuts on campus. <laughs> While like, it was like Clark Jones Day, and I just like took over the campus, and we had barbers and T-shirts and vendors and stuff like that. So that's incredible. Yes, what wow. college? That was sounds this? very effective. This is Morehouse College in Atlanta. All right. So, t- so Sasha Baron Cohen comes out. He's doing an Italian accent, and yeah. it's yeah. it's so hammy. It's so fun. Like this, I, I think I looked in this. No one of note has ever really played this role on Broadway. So. This is like in a movie, you can take someone who is more famous and stick them in something like this. And he he's just really hamming it up. My, my favorite, I think maybe my favorite joke in this movie is when he says that he wants shaved, he wants shaved the Pope. And you may say it was a cardinal, but no, it was the Pope. And to illustrate that, he has an autographed etching of the Pope, which is signed, thanks for the shave. <laughs> the pope it needed that comedy moment it needed yeah. that it needed that to balance yeah. out tim burton and cgi that's the whole thing is like i feel like sasha fully embodied like because it is such a heavy subject matter of like they're fucking cooking people into pies like i think everything around that we need that little like, levity, to balance. Need levity and i just yeah i i would have loved more of it than just sasha but i was glad that we at least got it in his portrayal I'm yeah. glad that they let him do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. what I think more people should have gotten opportunities to do. But so he's trying to hawk this miracle elixir that will grow hair. And Todd challenges him to a shave off, which he handily wins. He shaves an entire face while Pirelli's hitting a high note. And it's sort of just... The winner is Todd. <laughs> the winner is Todd, <laughs> says Beetle Bamford. <laughs> I would not be doing my due diligence as a Buffy fan if I did not point out that... Uh, <laughs> 
Anthony Stewart Head, who played Giles on Buffy, comes up to Todd on the street and asks him about his shop and how can I come to your shop and everything. The reason that he is there, I found out, is because originally there was going to be a chorus of the ghosts of victims of Sweeney Todd that was going to be Christopher Lee and Anthony Stewart Head and some other people, and they had to cut it which I think is great. I think it I think it would have been a little out of place, honestly. But basically, like, they had to stop down filming for a couple weeks because Johnny Depp's daughter got sick. And it was in that time, they basically lost the ability to have this ghost chorus. Even though they had recorded parts for it and everything, they lost the ability to film them. And I'm, I'm pretty glad about that. Dang. I would watch that production, though. Right? Mm-hmm. I will watch the full production of The Ghosts. I also didn't mention Toby, who is Pirelli's assistant, the wee Toby lad. So Toby is being abused by Pirelli. And then a couple days after the the shave off, they both show up at the shop and Pirelli identifies himself as Todd's former assistant, Davey Collins. You don't remember me, do you? We just, we get that, like, we get that, like, instant drop of the accent. It's perfect. This is, and, like, this is why you get Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, even rewatching it, I was like, why did they cast Sasha Baron Cohen to play this Italian? And then I forgot that he was going to drop the Italian accent, be Davey Collins, in it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's a guy who used to work in the shop sweeping up hair, apparently. He was a little um, apprentice. He, he was a wee or, assistant. Uh, Benjamin Barker. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a great name to shout out dramatically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, trust me, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so they're going to keep Toby busy downstairs by plying him with gin. Oh, man. <laughs> this 10-year-old and, child. And doilies. Ew. <laughs> and doilies uh, of pie. And um, this is also where we get our first murder. Pirelli slash Davy tries to blackmail Todd and his rage comes out and he bludgeons him unconscious with a tea kettle. Hides him in a trunk and then slits his throat. It's very, it's very like, I guess it's very horror movie in that like we go from like not much or just sort of like teasers of blood and shock. And then like in one fell swoop, it's like, yes, here's the murder show. Yeah. And in case we were like still hung up on the ethics of it, Miss uh, Lovett finds out that she, he was trying to blackmail him and says, oh, okay. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. The the desperation comes out for her need for money and money and Todd. And Toby. (laughs) And Toby. And even Toby. I mean, if Toby gets in the way of money and Todd, (laughs) <laughs> he, he, he can go too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we see that, right? Um, but those yeah. things she she takes um Pirelli's purse. Yeah, right which now. is yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a just a that's an amateur hour to me. Just to just get the money out of it. Right. She's <laughs> supposed to be yeah. like the the lady McBadward and and not <laughs> and she's just loving it. Steph doesn't let us say the name of the Scottish play in our home. Not, not in my house. No. Really? Yeah. yeah, it's cursed. Wow. What did the movie? You didn't like the movie? Um, I did kind of like the movie actually. <laughs> yeah. But every time I was like, okay, do you want to watch that movie? Or uh, actually, I would call it the Scottish movie. The Scottish movie. The Scottish yeah. movie. That's, That's okay. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> anyway, yeah, this is love. It's love. It's for first murder down. Yeah. Um, and then 
Oh, that's and then Todd has his epiphany basically where he's yeah. So first, uh, so, so next, um, judge Turpin visits Todd for grooming and, uh, he's like decided that he's going to marry Joanna that day. And Todd is like, hell yes, this is my chance. I'm going to murder him and like seduces him into the chair. And they sing this, they have this like lovely counterpoint moment, but like, we know that it's that they're both feeling sort of opposite things. It's juicy irony. They're both singing about pretty women. Yeah. That's the name of the song here, pretty women. Uh, And this is, so I do want to talk about Johnny Depp's voice for just one second because there is, so I love Johnny Depp's growl in this movie. I think his growl is perfect. And when he starts to go a little high, that's not, that's not Sweeney Todd to me. Mm. That that's to me, that's the thing that Stephen Sondheim was worried about. And I don't know if you guys feel that same way or if you. Well, my issue with Johnny Depp's voice for this role is that it's like now in musical theater, all of the lead roles are primarily tenors. Like Sweeney Todd was one of the last good like baritone lead roles. So when he's hitting those higher notes, it needs to have that like masculine like that like fullness. Like he doesn't. He can't. The Star Spangled Banner. I was and that's how I, I felt that way about his voice as well on the opening song like the i have sailed the world like that's supposed to like go through you because sweeney has this like operatic voice and he ain't got that but also again it's a tim burton movie so he was never not gonna have his wife and johnny depp that was always yeah. gonna be Mm-hmm. That was gonna be the lead. That's the lead That's in every Tim Burton movie. You know, even though she sent twelve audition tapes, it was still gonna be that. You know, what I mean? like it was, it was, it was just a formality. Also, I do find it fun that he's grooming for his grooming. Mm-hmm. Grooming a child. He's grooming for the girl he's grooming. So wow, gross. Wow, so many levels Almost. of disgusting. <laughs> If, yeah. Tim, if Tim Burton could have somehow snuck Danny Elfman <laughs> I know. into the, the music booth, he would have. He's, yeah. he's a much, very much a creature of nature. As it is, uh, this is one of two movies that Danny Elfman did not score of Tim Burton's. One, the one last thing I'm going to... Okay. We, um, we haven't gotten to A Little Priest yet, but it's like those very difficult harmonies I was talking about that like I struggled with and like almost couldn't do they're not singing those in the movie. Like they're, they're not there. Like they're cut. And that to me is indicative of like, they had to dumb down his work for who they had. So it's like, she she still like couldn't deliver on those harmonies and not just her Johnny as well. Like neither of them, Johnny and everything is singing the melody. And that's not true for, 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 um, if you look at the actual score, he doesn't always sing the melody. Sometimes he has harmonies as well. But they they simplify it because they have film actors who, again, that's why you gotta go see the live show. But I, I'm I'll stop being that person. I'll stop being. No, that I thing. love that because one of the things about the adaptation that I do like is the way that uh, they like highlight the orchestra and really use it to like they really let it swell in a way that like I feel like other. I feel like movie musicals that have been made after this have like tried to tamp down a little bit. And I do not like that. So can I just mention something that I read? It's funny that you say that because I did read that 
the score was reorchestrated by the stage musical's original orchestrator, Jonathan Tunick, who increased the orchestra from 27 musicians to 78. Fuck yes, get them in there. <laughs> Which, when uh, you have them in orchestra pieces, you don't necessarily have to have the vocalists doing the right, same exactly. You have instruments do that. So yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think those harmonies are missing. I just know like they're not singing them. That's all. Well, and well, I was going to say the other part of that though, is that like, I often want that, like, I want a really beautifully captured version of the song as it's performed on stage, which is beautiful. And like, I wish, you know, we, we, we can get everything we want. But like, it's, so, I mean, it's the Russell Crowe effect, right? Where it's like, <laughs> do you always need to have a, a great singer in every role? You know, uh, let's, I mean, let's talk about Alan Rickman for a second, because he, he's definitely warbling his way through this thing. Yeah. I will sure. say the highlight of him singing for me is in Pretty Women, when he just throws off those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love the, the best moment is uh, Pretty as a Mother. What? <laughs> what was that? What did you just say? <laughs> what on earth do you mean by that? Okay. You'll rue the day. <laughs> you shall rue the day you found out my plot. Um, uh, here, I'll, I'll edit this like I got it right the whole time, but there's three movies of Tim Burton's that uh, Danny Elfman has not scored, and there are Ed Wood, This, and Mrs. Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. He must have been busy for Ed Wood, because that seems perfect. Right? <laughs> right? Him to do. Yeah. It must have been like at the Simpsons studios. Just <laughs> but yeah, no, he would have snuck him in this movie if he could. Yeah. If it wasn't already perfect, the music. There's shot literally the like one of the opening shots of the movie when the camera is moving way too fast down the street of mm-hmm. London in that Tim Burton way. I just started singing the the Beetlejuice theme. Like, it was. Bah, bah, it was very bah, 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 bah. It was very Beetlejuicy. Yes. <laughs> That's a great catch. And again, this is another instance of weaving two songs, how they bring in pretty women and mm. and uh, my friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I just love those subtle changes. Well, but he's not going to get to kill Turpin here. No, they're interrupted by Wafey Anthony. By the um, flag. Who just like, right, by the red flag himself. <laughs> by the red uh, flag, Mr. Red who, flag. who like runs into the room shouting out his secret plan. Like as if he's never done any secret plan before in his life. Um, and so Turpin is enraged, renounces Todd's services in just some beautiful, like, like doesn't just leave, takes the time to like slap him a little bit and then leaves. This is, this is the intro of Todd's rage too. I think that's how we really see him go, go nuts. This is like, the song Epiphany is going to happen next. And that's, that's where he just really goes wild. Yeah. And he figures uh, out that, that he's gonna that the, the streets of London are plagued with rats, but not anymore because uh-huh. they all need a shave and he's gonna bring them in and take them out one by one. Just wanna just throw in real quick, I'm always amazed in the live versions of how they show murders. And actually mm-hmm. when I saw it, I saw it at a, a Beacon Street Theater in New York. The stage was built for this musical. And so they had an upstairs built on stage and a big red light. And that's what signified each murder. So Todd would take someone upstairs. Every time the red light flashed, that would signify somebody getting uh, their head chopped off. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because and I guess we didn't talk about it with the Pirelli murder, but the Pirelli murder and every other murder after is 
brutal. I mean, it is very gory. It is blood spurting. And and that's, you know, Tim Burton doesn't do a lot of R-rated stuff, honestly. he That's sort of his whole thing is like, it's spooky, but your kids will like it. And right. like, and so for him to make this choice, I mean, and basically what he said is he's like, these murders needed to be gory because they're Todd's release. And whenever I've seen a production where it's just like, you know, someone throws a red handkerchief out of their throat or whatever, like he's like, it doesn't, he's like, I feel like it robs Todd of, of some of his uh, sort of release. That's a messy cleanup in a live version. So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that That's was true. just blood everywhere, all through linen birds. Yeah, that <laughs> um and right after epiphany we get the song a little, a priest. little priest yeah mrs lovett's yes. gonna get the idea to they're they're trying to figure out what to do with pirelli's body and mrs lovett gets the idea to bake them into pies and mm-hmm. um we see the song a little priest and then we get this like shot of of instead of like having an intermission closer we get this shot of him building his bar building the rig for his barber chair so that the victim's bodies will drop all the way down to the bakehouse how do y'all feel about them signifying it in that way with the big zoom out do y'all feel like that you know really hit it because in the in the live version of course like that big note happens but this zoom out that tim burton used how do y'all feel about that it's just a different like like i feel different in each version when i see when i end with like the big chorus note i'm like fuck yeah even i'm a little excited for these murders what's gonna happen and then right 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 right. yeah yeah but like but like the zoom out is sort of like it's more of like i'm taking a breath like i i'm i'm not so much in it it's apples and oranges again (laughs) yes yes thanks just two different things it's priests and actors Right. If you if you had to choose between two big notes to end before intermission, would you choose Sweeney Todd or the big note from Wicked? Oh wow. Sometimes she doesn't fly and the chorus in Wicked has to throw themselves on the ground to become a high. You gotta look it up on YouTube. Like defying gravity, rig doesn't fly. It is so funny because <laughs> you just see the chorus. Look at her. She like they just throw themselves onto the ground to to create the effect that she is up. Can I just it's say? You gotta be creative. I just want to say about a little priest that so this is this this musical is more of an opera and it is more there's there's not a lot of like bops and there's not a lot of like breakaway pop hits. But to mm-hmm. me, a little priest is like fully the first song one of the only i'll say like start to finish songs in the whole thing and it's it's right when you need it and it's it's very funny throughout it's like you know it's all it all rhymes but it's basically like the priest will taste fresher because it has it doesn't uh, take take part in sins of the flesh you know the actor always arrives overdone you know steven sondheim's just giggling to himself yeah. like i'm gonna make the actors talk about how actors would taste bad ha, ha, ha. It's, it's, super, it's super meta yeah. It's meta, it's social commentary. My two, like, that's what made me love this and really get it from a classist standpoint. Like, yeah. it's just laid out and it has the comedy in it. It's 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 just perfect to me. And the, the live version, the longer version is just, uh, forget about it. I do think, like, if it went on any longer in the movie, it would be a, a little too long. I think that they... Yeah. <laughs> we it's, get it. Yeah. It's like the, the, the joke lasts exactly for as long as a joke in a movie can last in the, yeah. in the movie. <laughs> Wait, are we attending the Taylor Sweeney time? Oh! Okay, oh, because there was no chorus in the beginning. I didn't know what we were 
I thought I thought we was in Seville. This is the Sweet <laughs> Street. <laughs> Damn, there's a lot of singing barbers. <laughs> there's a lot of barber the, work. The quartets. The quartets. <laughs> yes. Um, that's the intermission. That's the intermission. Oh, I. You know what I did want to say about the um the zoom out is that we get a little shot of uh Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett doing the characters from the poster those little the little like cartoon shot and that's really yeah. cute that's yeah they very mirror cute. the original Broadway poster uh, so but so uh, yeah like you mentioned after this he starts to build the chair and then he starts just slaughtering people left and right while him and Anthony who's walking through the streets sing about Joanna together mm-hmm. but uh, the one thing I want to mention about the chair here is that every production I've ever seen of the chair, the chair slides forward so that the actors can go down the slide into, you know, ostensibly into Mrs. Lovett's Bakehouse. But in the movie, the chair goes backwards and all these people land. It it hurts my neck. They all land on their heads in such a way where it's like, oh, if the throat slit didn't kill them, surely that fall will because they're going to break their necks. (laughs) CTE at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Every fall. We'll get them in the long run. (laughs) If I don't make it to a pie, I'll make sure they can't remember their daughter's name. Man. You're going to leave different, that's for sure. (laughs) In the the Joanna reprise, I do feel like it it goes a little long, but I like that Mm -hmm. it cuts back. Him all like, wistful and magical and love and him just like fucking brutally murdering people and sending uh-huh. them down to their death i think that those juxtapositions are really nice yeah todd's like i wonder what you'll look like will you have your beautiful blonde hair Blah. Right. yeah I we also never get the... about anthony yeah i just no, never I, cared that's, <laughs> I never cared about anthony yeah i just i didn't and i don't <laughs> well i was even gonna say that the thing that i like about this song is that it gives an opportunity for us to see the beggar woman again because i feel like yeah. that's something that we miss in getting a lot of the more expositiony bits cut out is that like that's how she sort of is interwoven and that's why it's it i know i like but i like them i like that they they keep this and we get the chance to see it here is this when she's singing it, about city on fire mm-hmm, okay. i do like that that part always kills me now because i went i saw in chicago like a live immersive production of that that my friend was in and my friend's an a-hole he's like oh sit in this exact seat and so then in the live show this chorus sings it and so he's right next to me in my face going smoke smoke smoke." (laughs) and i was like i knew it. it was like not an appropriate time to laugh but like your best friend in your face, like in your ear, just. I was like, now my brain's broken, and I laugh when I hear that. So, meanwhile, the meat pies are going great. I mean, and- hot cakes. <laughs> hot cakes. <laughs> Mrs. L- Mrs. Lovett has a whole new dress now. Um, it's fancy Good. and like ruffled and beaded and um, she takes baby Toby as her assistant and uh, sings a song to Todd about her plans to marry him and move to the seaside and I would yeah. like to start off this conversation with um, some notes about Tim Burton's color work because the whole thing this whole movie has been in like blue and gray scale except for like Pirelli's P that was yellow and then all the blood and like now we get this like 
the world is colorful and the two of them are black and white, but then when they're in the fantasy, they switch. It's oh, it's so good. It's yeah, it's so jarring yeah. how it cuts to like this beautiful blue sky in her fantasy. Yeah, of course. Angela did it best, but, you know, Helena is really, she's at least trying to make it about Sweeney, as opposed to the actress who shall not be named, who's just going, down by the sea. Like, this isn't about you. Nothing (laughs) nothing is about Mrs. Lovett. Nothing. Jamie is silently raging on behalf of Patti LuPone. Just like, it's just like, at least, do you like him? To come for Patty like right, that. Like no, I would I would stop if I was a director, like, hey, you know you like Sweeney Todd, right? It's he's <laughs> in the scene with you. Like he's he should be ignoring you. Like, and they did that great with the hand gestures on the beach and yeah. like Yeah, he sort of just like stays still. Also, we get to see Johnny Depp in uh, one of those uh, full body swimsuits that men used to wear yeah. back then. My Animal Crossing guy has one like that. <laughs> It's perfect with the hair. It's just yeah. all, all tight. Now I gotta go rewatch Patty Lapone performing. Because <laughs> I'm like, I mean, well, maybe she is. Maybe she isn't engaging with him enough. But I do think maybe, maybe the reason why she steps away because her acting choice is that she's in her head, seeing it in her head. Even in her head, it's supposed to be about Todd. Even <laughs> her, her fantasy, her fantasy well, her is. Fantasy is about Todd, so maybe she walked away from him because she's like seeing all of it happen. Nah, and she don't have no epiphany it. like that. All her epiphanies are about this is gonna make Todd love me. That's her only epiphany. The only thing she need to be thinking about is Todd and that purse. You sound like one of those like podcasts where it's like you low value females need to <laughs> Oh, you gonna play the female card? That's low. That is low. It's about me right now, Jamie. You just like Patty Lapone, which is a double. Which is a diss and a compliment at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you're just on a theater you're actress that you like, Patty LuPone. That's the oh, problem. Tony Award winner. You're just like Tony Award winner Patty LuPone. Yeah, that's Patty. More Jamie. <laughs> to that point, though, something that I love is that this is her fantasy, and yet even in her fantasy, Todd could not be less into her. You <laughs> can't make him be into her the yeah. only time that we have seen him show any sort of affection towards her is when she comes up with the idea to get rid of the bodies and her pies and then all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. he's smiling and he's dancing with her i mean it's it's an abusive relationship straight up but she is also lying to him about his wife being dead basically and you know that again not to classic is, everybody classic, sucks here classic yeah. johnny depp is in a relationship where everybody sucks <laughs> that i would love that one i endorse just the enunciation of that line of what a nice plum frame. What's his name? Has. has. <laughs> and like, yeah, yeah, like that. She nailed, I, I know they had to work with her a lot on that, but uh, she really nailed it. I love Helena Bonham Carter. I think she's one of this, well, not this nation, but some nations, uh, great actors. <laughs> and I can't believe she wasn't nominated for an Oscar for this, honestly, which Johnny Depp was. I didn't know that. Yeah, Johnny he Depp got was an Oscar no, nomination. He, yeah, he was nominated. Yes, he got yeah. an Oscar nom and she didn't. That's wild. After all my apple, after all my apples and oranges talk, that actually pisses me the fuck off. <laughs> it's about time. How many times I gotta say it's yeah, about time? You and Patty. How many times I got to tell you this is not <laughs> Mrs. Mooney Demon Pie Maker of Fleet Street. It's Winnie Todd. <laughs> <laughs> 
so Angela Lansbury was kind of a Broadway star when Sondheim asked her to, or whoever, Harold Prince or whoever asked her to be in this play. And she's like, look, you're asking me to be a second banana. It's not called Nellie Lovett's Pies. It's called The Demon Barber of yeah. Fleet Street. And so yeah. you need to write me some more jokes and you need to write me some more stuff. And that's how he writes the song A Little Priest. He writes it when oh, he awesome. de- demands Love funnier it. stuff for her to do. And she snapped. That was yeah. great. Yeah. Amen. This, wait, and- real quick. Did she get a Tony? For, did she get a Tony for Sweeney Todd? She did. She and Lynn Carrio both won Tonys. Yeah. And as well as the writers, both writers, the director. Okay. So we we do have to talk about Wafy Anthony for a minute because this is like <laughs> oh, the, the reason that he's here is that now his plot intersects with our main plot. Anthony has figured out where Joanna's is hidden in an insane asylum. And um, that's probably not, well, I'm Bedlam. Asylum. A, cr- a crazy house. A cr- yeah, that's probably a better way to say it. <laughs> so Todd comes up with this plan. He tells Anthony to pretend to be a wig maker because that will get him into Bedlam because that's where they get all the wig hair. And when we do get there, they're like sorted by hair color, the, the human people. Um, Classic, um, you know, insane asylum stuff. You put the right. redheads in one room, you put the brunettes in one room, put the blondes in one room. <laughs> So, God. you know that redhead room too is a madhouse. <laughs> lit, it's lit. <laughs> <laughs> we also get a really good uh, shot of all those blonde women um, murdering the guy who's keeping them captive, though. So that's nice. Yeah, because Anthony pulls a gun out of nowhere. Yeah. He's he steals you, Joanna. He does finally. He finally uh, commits to his promise that he threatened to do so many times and steals her. <laughs> And he six he's he leaves the wig the wig maker insane asylum guy. I'm not sure, like, how, were we really letting businesses intersect in this way where you were just getting wigs from? But anyways, I don't know that it was like a, like a known practice. I think right. that's maybe it was yeah. a little side business. I do wonder if the original writer was alluding to Nellie Bly when he named Nellie mm. Lovett because that's a little you know her whole. Yeah, woman's insane asylum thing. I wonder if there's any crossover there. I'm not sure if Mrs. Lovett was like in the story in 1846 or if she was just inserted into it in the 1970s. I, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But so anyways, he, so uh, um, Anthony so yeah. rescues Joanna and uh, the captor proceeds to not defend himself even though he's holding a pair of scissors. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he know yeah, how to cut he's... his hair. He don't know how to cut people. Or yeah. All I do is make wigs. I'm just the wig maker. (laughs) I'm just the appraiser. Mark with a great Sopranos reference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I won't miss a Sopranos reference. I dropped one in our Dear Evan Hansen episode, so you know that there is. I'll always force one in if I can. (laughs) (laughs) Big wig maker. (laughs) I'm just the wig maker. Send Feast Lamana in there to get her. <laughs> Come like out of that asylum okay. for sure. Now, now we got to do a whole other Sopranos episode. Someone make a Sopranos musical. I think that's my I'm calling. Sure. What is my calling if not that? To write the Sopranos musical. That's a pretty good point. So that's only half of the scheme though, because Todd has simultaneously sent baby Tony, Toby. I keep saying Tony because of um, The Office episode todd has sent baby toby to deliver a letter to judge turpin basically saying anthony's gonna bring joanna here come here and you'll get her back he's luring him and toby does that but then goes back to mrs lovett 
and uh, vows to protect her and tells her that he is like grown weary of Mr. Todd. Um, this like that's that's that line is that that note is funny to me though because it goes from low <laughs> to high so quickly. <laughs> like you're just overdoing like homeless kid. You're doing um Annie. Oliver. Yeah, Oliver. You do it's yeah. Oliver. Oliver Trust. <laughs> Can I have some more pie? Also, pie, sir? Come worth, on. worth mentioning is that I did notice that also I do think that worth mentioning is the drinking game of this podcast. <laughs> whenever I say that drink. Um, but is that um I think that in a lot of versions of the stage musical, Toby is more depicted as a mentally challenged adult than a child. Uh, yeah. Like there's a, there's a, well, there's a 1999 concert cast that is the most 1999 cast where Kelsey Grammer plays Sweeney oh, Todd, goodness. Christine Baranski plays Mrs. Lovett, and Neil Patrick, a 27 year old Neil Patrick Harris plays Toby. Skeet Ulrich is uh, the Beatle. <laughs> 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 yeah, I just I like that Toby's an actual child. That kind of reminds me of how, like, yeah, in the end of the old movies, they made uh, Jack and Little Red children as well. Mm. I think it's something that Sondheim stage shows. Yeah, they usually have like adults who look young playing children, and it's like I don't know why it's like that. Maybe it's because it's like contracts are more expensive in equity for children mm-hmm. and it's right. hard to cast like four or five children for one role sure. so like i could see like, from a financial standpoint why it would make sense to have adults but on screen i think it read better for him to be a child and also like spoilers coming but like you get to see like because like yeah he's probably going to grow up to be a todd having lived through all that shit that he saw mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. The ending, i think it's foreshadowing of like his nurture has now made toby become a monster at some point i mean he was not living the best life before todd either but he's truly out of the frying pan and into the barber's chair because (laughs) i mean he was in a workhouse and then pirelli adopts him and he abuses him and then i mean mrs lovett is the best thing he has going he has to he messes that up by being on to sweeney todd yeah he's gonna have some mommy issues i think um (laughs) and i just I just, Gonna. you know, wherever, wherever he is, I hope he's okay. You know, I know he's a fictional character, but I am worried. <laughs> I am worried about this fictional character's future. Jamie, the fictional <laughs> character even is long dead. I need you to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know how they fared through the 1880s. And what's more, he's my great great grandfather. <laughs> so Beetle goes first, right? Is this yeah? Beetle so. Goes? Beetle arrives now, and uh, Mrs. Lovett has locked Toby in the um, bake room in the basement. And Beetle arrives. He uh, informs Mrs. Lovett that people have been complaining about the stink from her her chimney. And um, Todd distracts him with an offer of free grooming and then just, like, murders him off screen. Like, it's just, like, we don't even, it's so unceremonious that he, at this point, had just, like, gotten the way. No one's complaining that someone they know went to get a shave. Right? From this very popular barber who's, everyone's raving about his cuts. Nobody has seen them. It's all word of mouth. It's it's all reputation, which is amazing. It's like maybe it's that one. It's just that one guy he shaved in the Pirelli contest, who's like an influencer, 
And that's because <laughs> that's, okay. that's the one guy who lives. Everybody's like, hey, you smell that? You don't smell that? Anyway, it's uh, 339 Fleet Street. Go upstairs. <laughs> I, I know I smell something, but I just can't place the smell. It's like, I shit. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I've been like, also for that matter, how about how Judge Turpin is like, oh yeah, this place where I'm going for a shave is the same place where that guy I had sent away used to live, who was also a barber and also had a face yeah. like this. Oh well, yeah, just just shave me right here, please. <laughs> He's new in town, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I definitely will go un with no security. Right. And check that out because I don't <laughs> have any enemies. It's not like people hate me. <laughs> <laughs> here i stand i mean he sees himself as untouchable clearly that's i think that's the whole point of him being like here i stand and all that here you kill me boy here i stand okay so um toby is now hiding in the sewers mrs lovett and todd search for him a little bit meanwhile anthony brings joanna who is disguised as a sailor into the shop and has her wait there while he leaves to find a carriage. And a beggar woman enters the shop looking for Beetle Pettigrew, is what I have written down. Um, and so Joanna hides in the trunk. And then Todd returns from the sewers. Beggar woman is in his shop. The beggar woman recognizes him. But then Todd sees Turpin coming, knows that this is his moment. And so he kills the beggar woman and sends her down through the trapdoor. Brutal. 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 So then Judge Turpin comes in. Like, we don't even have a moment to breathe and, like, absorb it. It's just, it's very rough. Turpin's in for the shave because he knows Joanna's downstairs. He thinks Joanna's downstairs. And Turpin recognizes Todd in, like, the one moment. I do, I really like they give Benjamin Barker! (laughs) Peter Pettigrew! Peter Pettigrew! Um, I love that they give us a little Pretty <laughs> Woman reprise and we get back to that climax moment that we Pretty had. Woman, uh, yeah, the, the quickness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He could just kill him also, but, you know, drama. Yeah. Right, 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 exactly. You gotta Mellow drama it. even. Nothing mellow about this drama. Oh, he doesn't even, he doesn't even slash. He like, he stabs him. It's the most brutal. And I mean, again, if we're going with the, these are his releases, this has got to be his biggest release. And we definitely see that. It's a lot of blood, a <laughs> lot of slashing. That is very true. And then still somehow, despite all the slashing and despite the fall onto his fucking crown, he's still alive when he gets to the bottom of the chute. Yeah. Not long enough just to cling to Mrs. Lovett's dress. There's a quick moment where we think that Pat is going to find Joanna in the box and he finds her uh, and is, we think he's going to kill her. But then we get that scream from Mrs. Lovett. And so he like lets her go. And then that's it. We don't we don't see them again. She We just assume made it out alive. Yeah, it doesn't um, really ring true to me that he just lets her go. Right. When he's, been, when he's really on a, on a tear right, right here. He's been killing so many people. But but that, that release was enough. Maybe that was mm. like... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Now you can put it because, like, there's there's different types of psychopaths. Like, I think since he's a revenge-based psychopath, like Gaba, he's done the big one. He can probably put put the thing up for a few years and and call it a day. So you're saying he's in his refractory period. That's 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 a great point, Jamie, about revenge-based because he ain't done, but he just he's done killing motherfuckers when he did shit to him. Yeah, he's done with right. that part. Right, right. But if you did something, oh, oh, oh. yeah. But wait, there's Hi. more. <laughs> and I did this. The site when we watched it earlier today, I said to Steph, I was like, "What would his life be if he if he were to make it out of this? Like, what would he just move on, or would he still keep doing what he's doing? I don't know. I don't think there is a way. 
Yeah, it kind of seems like he would just kill himself. I mean, right? Well, I mean, okay, so spoiler well, he thinks alert. Joanna's coming. He goes down to the basement and they kill Turpin finally, I think. Then he like looks up and sees the beggar woman from before and realizes that it's his wife, Lucy, and that Mrs. Lovett has deliberately misled him in her desperation. And then he uh, flips a switch and dances with her, like pretending to forgive her, but really is dancing her so that he can hurl her into the bakehouse oven and shut the door. And that was a reprise of uh, uh, by the, by sea, the right? sea, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. a little bit of priest too, I and think. priest too, yeah, uh-huh. so sort of a few uh-huh. things, yeah. And he just uh, hurls her in there. We get to see her face melting a little bit because Tim Burton's like, "Fuck it, I got the R rating. I may as well show her melting." Might as well go crazy. <laughs> yeah, her line of "Never said she died." Is let me stop you right there. <laughs> Never said she died. Technically. <laughs> and then right after that, she's like, Can we still get married? Yeah. I just that's great. I love that never said she died, but I also love before that the panic of like you've seen people go that no, not lied at all. No, I never mm-hmm. lied. And then like mm-hmm. just how it physically <laughs> gets faster <laughs> as she's burying her fucking grave. Love it. You love, love it. it. <laughs> so Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Lovett is is dead and closed into the oven, um, and then he like just kind of kneels down, cradles Lucy's dead body, and then Baby Toby appears, and Todd like stretches out his neck and just yeah, sort we, of is like kind of yeah. think Todd knows that Toby's behind him and knows that right? this moment, so he gives it up. It ain't nothing left. Yeah, right. he gave his daughter away to the the, the red flag, which is <laughs> bold, mm-hmm. and there's nothing left for him to do. Ain't no shit left. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. There's no, there's really nothing left now. The last lyrics we hear, he he just does a little, and she was beautiful, and he was, and then like that's it. They leave that part unfinished, and that feels so appropriate to me. Toby, not only he cuts his neck, and he as he bleeds out brutally, the blood. Like he bleeds onto his dead wife, like and the blood just starts to cover her face. It's pretty brutal. That uh, yeah, that was Tim Burton. Really, that right. was his, like feeling God, himself. Lee. Once you open up that vault, man, it's hard to to close mm-hmm. it. I guess, yeah. Or the neck gash. And that's it. That's where we end. That's the credits. Like I really, I guess this is maybe another moment where we don't have any chorus like giving us the morality envelope. Or like telling us like what we're supposed to take away from the tale of Sweeney Todd. And I just would like us to think about that for a moment. <laughs> there was no yeah. big hug. There was no big hug at the end. No redeeming. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's no like, died. and that's why you don't be a barber. Yeah. And that's <laughs> why. Steph, is that what you think the moral of the story is? I think it's yeah. a slippery slope. <laughs> There's no, whatever you offer them, don't feed the plant. I think you guys should say that. There's no, don't feed the plant. There's no, I feel like the moral of this story is, I I guess, just don't have a hot wife in the 1800s. (laughs) Like, it sounds like, unfortunately, that's the whole thing. Like, don't be of low rank and have a hot wife. Yeah, if you do, you got to keep her with the other blondes at the insane asylum. Get a brunette. Get you a crazy brunette. It's like uh, that one guy once said, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. Wow. Who said that? Uh, Jimmy (laughs) something. So from my personal point of view, get an ugly woman to marry you. Jimmy Soul, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. So from my personal point of view, get an ugly girl to marry you. And she was beautiful. Um, 
I do like that they cut it before he can sing and he was naive because it's like, yeah, uh-huh. he's no longer naive. Uh-huh. He's the fucking opposite yes. of naive at this point. Okay. Well, so we so dumb. <laughs> we've talked a lot. We've talked a lot about the casting. So let's let's talk about if we were to do this again today. Is there do you got do you guys have cast in mind that you would put put in these roles? The perfect Pirelli would be Matteo Lane. Wow, yes. Oh. Yes. I love that. I love that. Chicago comedy expat, but one of the most talented people and a voice like a motherfucker. Definitely. Wow. And Italian. Oh, and Italian, right? <laughs> he would have to get an English accent. Yeah. Uh, you don't remember me, do you? <laughs> don't remember me, do you? <laughs> he can do it. I'm sure he can do it. All right. um, I'm going to have my agents get in touch with Mateo. What about for Sweeney yeah. and Mrs. Lovett? I just want somebody who's who's more campy. For Mrs. Lovett mm-hmm. is all. I don't know why this immediately came to my mind, but I was like, I kind of would love to see Leslie Jones do it, just because oh, wow. like <laughs> she would be wild with it. She would make wild choices. She would make, make wild choices, and it would make it like because it's already everything in it is so heavy. I just think you need as much of that levity. I did say Emma Thompson earlier. Emma Thompson has done some like concert versions of it and done really great. Uh, I, I don't know if she can sing at all, but I think Viola Davis would be a great. Ooh. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think it. she can do anything, honestly. She Oh, she sang in uh, the, the movie Chadwick didn't win an Oscar for. Oh, oh yeah, Ma Rainey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> the, the movie, she would do... That's forever what that movie is, the movie where Chadwick Boseman <laughs> did not win an Oscar. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I would see someone like like again. It's all about the growl for me for Sweeney Todd. So I I mean like Ray Winstone is someone who has that great British growly voice. I mean he did play Growl Tiger in Cats, and he's like age appropriate to to Emma Thompson to where they can be opposite each other. I mean Emma Thompson is great because we need more Harry Potter alums in this thing. Are, are you are you pro or against Tom Hardy as an actor? Oh, I like I like Tom Hardy again. Tom Hardy is someone who to me can do anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, he could do this. As we talk about rebooting this thing, there's something that musical movie reboots always do, which is they introduce one new song so that they can get nominated for the Best Original Song Oscar. And uh, that's what we do every time we talk about rebooting a movie. I have a song here that I am pitching to insert into the next uh, version of Sweeney Todd. Um we, so we did bump this recording up like a week earlier than we would have done it normally because of Clark's busy touring schedule. <laughs> so that would that that cut out the week where I would normally like do my first bad idea and then realize it doesn't work and then go with another idea. So I didn't have that time for this. So instead, I just went with my first bad idea. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's the time where I would normally like work with the song, make sure it sounded better, make sure it sounded like it belonged in the musical. <laughs> but I didn't have the time to do all that. So. I'll let the listener judge on their own merit. Uh, I will say I have it. So I, it's it's a new character. Basically, here's my thought. What if late in the movie, the killings are happening, they're being turned into pies. And what if we meet a new character who is a down on his luck, desperate health inspector who has to, who has to find one restaurant to close or else he's going to get fired, right? <laughs> and... Uh, and I had I went ahead and cast him for this demo uh, as Ian McKellen, and um, <laughs> and you guys don't have to be muted for this either. You can be uh, <laughs> you can have your mics on and react if you want, and you can tell me how oh, much no, you love it or hate it uh, right. afterwards. Um, but let's let's I'm gonna go ahead and play it now, so I don't have to talk about <laughs> it anymore. Uh, the song is called Worst Inspector. 
I think it's called Worst Inspector. Okay, here we go. <sighs> Another day, then. Oh, life isn't fair. Oh, when you wear the emblem of a health inspector, it's fairly rare. To get care, shopkeepers think I want to disrespect or shut them down. So in town, I can't get a plate of bangers without chance of spit. They omit something in my order every time. Now my job is on the line. Oh my. <laughs> my boss says I'm a nice guy, but I've never found a violation. I don't turn a blind eye. I'm not skilled at my chosen station. The blokes at work call me jerk. I've never met a single quota. So today, I must say to a restaurant that it's closing time. Or else my ass is on the line. I'm the worst inspector, I've had zero luck My boss thinks me inept, my kids think I'm a cuck They think I'm on the take, but I'm trying my best today A place must close, it is my final test I'm defined as half-blind, but only by my optometrist Really, I can see quite fine. It doesn't affect. Oh, sorry, sorry, that's my fault. Sorry. What were you going, you fucking twat? I'm the worst inspector in all of UK. Every greasy spoon I search receives an A. Pre-Victorian London just seemed clean to me. Some say I can't beat this daft. I say I could be. So that's it, someone must fall! I'll help inspect with zero mercy! They call me tit, but they'll all laud me with no controversy! After I lately fly through shops and find all violations, they'll all see I will be the best inspector in the nation today! A restaurant will fall! Let's see what's on the list today. Mrs. Lovett's meat pies. Surely something is askew in there. Time for your comeuppance to arrive, Mrs. Lovett! Damn, couldn't find anything wrong with that place. Oh well, off to the next. (laughs) 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 You like it? All right, you I, like it I more loved than it. Me. The homage with the dark turn at Twitter uh-huh. that was very much in line with Sondheim. Next uh-huh. time, try ass on the line at Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> it also, it lended itself to the Burton world as well because some of those, like, when it was like, you had a part where your voice went, da, 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 and it reminded me of Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, it's funny that you say that. I stole the chorus chords from Nightmare Before Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Ironically. It's fitting fitting because it's a Sam Burton made yeah 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 wow glad that you caught that i've I've stolen a couple of chord progressions and you're the first person to to call one out on the podcast and i'm a big fan of that (laughs) well this is as good a time as any to tell uh the listener that all of the songs that you hear on musical the movie the podcast we do one every week and they're all available at our patreon which is the patreon for the dumb fun family of podcasts at patreon.com slash dumb fun that uh houses 30 characters as well as fanny falls demon hunter and uh all those songs are there not just that one but also some good ones 
Um, and uh, you can support us for as little as $2 a month. Steph's in nursing school, you guys. Uh, I'm going to milk that for all it's worth. Uh, help <laughs> us out. Go in there. Give us a little bit of money. And uh, we greatly appreciate it. Clark, is there anything that you'd like to plug for the month of October and beyond? If you love music, I put together an artist playlist for Spotify and their new BIPOC series where they uh, interviewed me and talked about how music um, affects life. So be on the lookout for that. Nice. Cool. That's incredible. What about you, Jamie? What you got coming up? Well, I just want to say I'm really excited to listen to that later. Clark, I do have um, a show at the Lincoln Lodge in Chicago on Halloween, October 31st, called Boo You Whore. So if you like Halloween <laughs> and you like doing fun things on Halloween, if you f- go to my Instagram or my website, which is jamiestrander.com, you can get tickets and come see that. And what is I that show going to be? So it's myself. I have Liam Nelson, who is an Atlanta comic, who is open for Sam Marilla and Dusty Slay, who I'm going to be doing a run with. Like that's our first show of the run. And then I also have Max Price from St. Louis coming in and Victoria Vincent, who... Just Always funny. Places, oh, very talented. Cool. Yeah. We're going to have some like Halloween trivia costume contest. I'm going to give out candy. Yes. So it'll be a, yeah, it'll be a stand up driven show, it sounds like. But Jamie is no normal stand up. She always has a, a number of songs uh, involved. Her. She's, she's, her musicality extends to her stand up comedy career. Uh, and with that, she's become uh, one of the great comics in the scene and certainly in this great nation. Oh. Steph, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Yeah, I'd like to plug having um, a long conversation with someone that you haven't had a chance to do that with in a couple of years. I got to do that this weekend and it was really nice. Nice. That's it. That's my plug. Um, Yeah, it's always nice when you ask non-comics to plug things because they, (laughs) you know, they just tell you to be a nice person. Yeah. uh, And then I'll just say as well, in Louisville, uh, we'll be doing the roast of true crime on Halloween weekend, October 28th and 29th. I'm probably going to be playing McGruff the Crime Dog on that show. Um, we just had the rest of Vampires yesterday at the Laugh Factory Chicago. So that was a fun show. I'm trying to think of what else coming up. It doesn't matter. Just follow me on Twitter, Andy Andy Fleming, and follow Steph at Stork Smop, spelled just, spelled just how it smells. No, spelled just how it sounds. Uh, and, uh, and tweet at us and let us know what movies you want to hear. I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but this is the beginning of our spooky October, where we're going to be doing three spooky musicals for all three of our episodes in October. So um, I guess I'll just say right now that our next episode will be Phantom of the Opera. Fuck yes, I'm Uh, so excited. I guess I need a year on this because we need to make sure people watch the right Uh, one. I think it's 2004. Yeah, we're doing the 2004 Gerard Butler helmed, uh, not helmed, but certainly starring uh, Phantom of the Opera. Oh, wow. I did not know Emmy Rossum and Patrick Wilson were in this. I've heard Minnie Driver is great in it. I'm excited to see it. I think that's it, you guys. Thank you, guys. Thank Thank you, you, Jamie and Clark. Clark. Thank you for having me. This was amazing. This was so much fun. Such a delight. Not too too better people that we could have to discuss this musical. I can't wait to have you both back. Bye, guys. Thanks, Joe. Musical the movie, the podcast. Musical the movie, the podcast. Musical the movie, the podcast with Andy and Steph. Fun dumb.